Hello, you are listening to Oblivion. It's August 23rd, 2021. Well, um, what do you want to get on today? I mean, I guess COVID's back is a prime issue. It went away just a bit. It was hiding, but now it's back. Well, I think we were led on to to think that uh i never thought that um that there was a a while in which i think we lulled ourselves um into uh believing that it that it was gone and i go back to the cnn censorship of the numbers of infections and deaths uh or uh cases daily cases and and daily deaths that they put on for the entire Trump administration. And then Biden gets in and uh, suddenly we get this more uh, cryptic and um, certainly more difficult to read uh, display of information saying um, the percentage of new cases is at an increase or decrease from the day before. And then how many vaccinated is is the percentage vaccinated today up or down, or it might be over the last week. Right. But even the fact that I can't easily remember everything shows you that the point is when you make something more complicated, uh, it gets in the way of understanding. And it also means people lose interest. Right. They're not going to follow something that is a headache. And, but the the main thing is in terms of just the the actual numbers and symbols that are put up. So instead of something like I don't know exactly what it is, but six hundred and twenty thousand dead, you you instead you see something six hundred twenty eight like, two eighty five. Well, what is it again? Six twenty eight two eighty five. Okay. Well, I was originally going to say six hundred and thirty thousand, but I thought you know I would. Uh, lowball it so well the yeah i mean the deaths are 1000 a day now back up to 1000 a day which is plus right. 95% plus plus 90 14 day change so it's doubled in 2 weeks uh, that's great uh, and there can't be any good explanation <laughs> for this change in format other than it's propaganda right, right. by putting by getting these big numbers like 628,000 that's a lot and mm. instead you put something up well if you do it in terms of percentage mm. right the highest number possible is uh 100 although i guess well that's not well, no. <laughs> yeah. you can always have an increase above, well, above 100% yeah, so i was I mean, mistaken about that but the number's going to be lower than 600 and like you're not going to see a 600,000% increase or well, maybe you will. Here, here's some other numbers. Uh, I'm looking at. Uh, speaking of above 100 uh, percent, uh, for instance, the biggest 14-day change in a state, South Dakota, 312 percent. It's per 100,000 is 25, uh, so it's not nearly as bad as. Let's go to our where we're coming from, the great state of Kentucky. I was just uh, going to ask, isn't Kentucky just, just getting... Oh, oh it, well, I mean, it's numbers. You look at the graph, we're as high as we've ever been. Uh, it's totally as high as anywhere in 
here's the topic and and just in time for the kentucky supreme court to uh side with the kentucky legislature and say that the governor can't override the legislature's law putting a 30-day limit on the uh governor's uh emergency powers and uh, I just want to comment on that real quickly. I mean, sure. first of all, it shows what a broken place Kentucky is. Like, it's just rotted out. It is nothing. Um, I, I have I have no need to associate with it in terms of, like, my upbringing and... Uh, well, especially, uh, so, especially politically, it's a uh, cesspool. Right, but it's so bad that I think it just spills over into what is, you know, undeniably poor character among the people. Mm. Um, so I'll I'll definitely uh, stick stick with that. But the other thing is, I think that the Supreme Court ruling is clearly um, wrong because it's unconstitutional. Because what the Supreme Court did is it upheld an unconstitutional law made by the legislature that just arbitrarily said will effectively eliminate the executive's constitutional powers that the executive the governor has emergency powers during an emergency Mm -hmm. right and they just came in and said yes but we'll just say he asked them for 30 days and then the legislature decides if that can be renewed so they just took the power from the executive away and made it a legislative power and then the supreme court came in and said um, that the, it was the governor who was wrong because he was uh, acting like a tyrant. They usually literally use the word tyranny in the in the judgment. Hmm. Um, the governor was acting like a tyrant because he, he was going against the law that the legislature had uh, lawfully made. But no mention was made of the constitutional issues of, of that particular law. Nothing was said about the pandemic, which is unbelievable. Like, how can you do a ruling on this and not say anything about what's actually going on or why the emergency is there or what the issue is in the first place? Uh, But it also gets to the point of no matter what, the consistent pattern that one sees is the hardcore anti-science right-wing extremist point of view is upheld. Anyway, back back to the numbers. I mean, you might have something you want to add to that, but I definitely would like to hear more on the numbers about Kentucky if if you've got them. Yeah, uh, sure. I've got them up. And yeah, well, yeah, like I said, the graph, you look at it and, you know, we're up to the mm, 3,500, here, 3,500, 3,200 cases a day average, uh, which was basically the highest it was and the kind of two peaks uh, during the New Year's uh, peak. Uh, yeah, and it's just raging. We're, uh, as compared to other states, uh, we are currently number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven most infected, plus 79%, 14-day change, 73 per 100,000. Uh, we're tied with Arkansas and Tennessee as far as per 100,000. Alabama's 82. Louisiana's 108. Florida 109. Mississippi 120 at the top. Uh, <clears throat> so it's still cooking. Here's a related uh, topic concerning Mississippi, which is that um, 
they have, uh, I think, made a law where they're going to start uh, fining or even jailing infected people who don't uh, self-isolate. In Mississippi? In Mississippi. Uh, I mean, I mean, who, who is doing this, the state? or? I believe so. Hmm. So Mississippi doesn't have, uh, you'd think that Mississippi would have the crazy-ass legislature government. Well, it, it it does. I mean, this is the place where the I think the Supreme Court overturned the uh, uh, voting in medical marijuana. Hmm. Um, but that's a that's really another uh, yeah. topic. But um, the thing that it tells me, um, and if if you want to uh, verify this, but I've I've read it uh, multiple times, so I'm I'm pretty sure this is true. I don't remember the, it's something maybe like a five thousand dollar fine and possible jail time if you've tested positive for COVID and you're out roaming around. And why everyone didn't just do this immediately? Like if the if the Congress is going to outlaw LSD. <laughs> in the 1970s. I don't know why within a day of when this was declared a pandemic, I think on March 11th, 2020, that our federal legislature just didn't, you know, make a law saying, okay, if you're infected, you and you are you won't self-isolate, that's that's a crime, like you're subject to fine and and, and jail time. Um but the more pertinent point is it tells me just how bad this this is if you've got a place like mississippi that did this uh but it also just shows how much america is against itself like it takes this pride in we're not going to do anything to stop this or to deal with it and it's why people won't wear masks because wearing a mask is looking like this is actually happening and americans are so obsessed with being cool and their self-image that they're not going to do that So we're seventh. Kentucky is seventh, and Mississippi's first. And yeah. Kentucky's numbers are on par with Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're right the same. Yeah, you know, as far as the per one hundred. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't see the numbers getting any better. Well, not not in the short term because we're still it's just starting to get into the like the Northeast. Uh, like we've been saying, you know, it's a big test of is the higher vaccination rate. Uh, uh, what kind of difference is that going to make? I mean, if right. you look, if you look around on the, uh, let's see, for instance, when I go to the vaccine map, you can kind of hover over individual counties, and uh, uh, give you <clears throat> the number by county uh, if it load. Um, but you know it varies quite widely. So let's just say uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and when you get into Lancaster County, yeah, which is that Philadelphia, uh, when you get into the near the coast, uh, those counties are still they're like between fifty and sixty percent hall residents. Now it's then it's. 66 percent 18 plus 84 you know it's mostly in the 80s for old people which i guess is good for old people but if you get back into the more in the sticks 
you know, you got some pretty low rates as far as all residents. You know, 30, Probably uh, not a densely populated area. Sure. So there is that factor. Of course. Uh, but yeah, uh, so that's why it makes it just so complicated and, and largely a guessing game as far as, um, you know, for instance, here's one thing you can guess is by the shades and colors. Say Florida, it got hit pretty hard, but it's got, as far as these counties are concerned, uh, it's got many counties that are darker, right? It's got many that are incredibly low. Uh, it's like some of the lowest in the nation, I would say, like 24% in Dixie County. <laughs> Dixie County, oh my God. How stereotypical. 24% all residents. Uh, which, state, which state is that in? Florida. Uh, County, and, Florida. And, wow. and, of course, and of course, that Ozarks area of Missouri, which is just to the west of you, uh, that's kind of one of the biggest continuous areas of like light shaded, un, you know, low vaccination rates. Every county is 20 to 25% all residents. I think Callaway County finally got to 50%. Yeah, it's well, all residents, it's just 37%, uh, 42%, 12 plus, 44%, 18 plus, and 72%, 65 plus. So not, not too good, I must say. Well, disappointing, Callaway County. Uh, let's see if, well, Washington County's beaten that, unbelievably. Uh, 42%, all residents. 49% 12 plus, 52% 18 plus, 78% uh, 65 plus. So, you know, and, but the, but one thing that's interesting as far as predicting things, like I was saying, Florida, you know, it did uh, go through the roof. And I wouldn't say it's incredibly different than a lot of these Northeastern uh, states uh, mm -hmm. uh, as far as how, how it looks. Now, Missouri has started to go come down again. So that's interesting. The first place that really got the Delta, right, right. Uh, was Missouri in these rural areas. And it's finally uh, come down, started to come down there. Okay. So, so if you look at uh, July is, is when everything started to skyrocket. We're talking six weeks. Yeah. So, uh Missouri is 41 per 100,000, and you look, it's down 12% two weeks over the last two weeks, which is pretty much when it started. The peak was two weeks ago, so it's down 12%. Um, yeah, so it, it was starting to go up. And it's been a long time, and when it really started going up was early July. So basically a month between when it started going up and when it peaked. So um, maybe that's good news for other states like Kentucky. Let's see, when did it start coming up? Uh, July, Probably like July. Yeah, July 15th is when it started, really. Uh, so there we go, a month. So, so maybe maybe, about, uh, maybe we'll be at the peak. Missouri. Yeah, so maybe, you know, maybe this is the peak. We'll know in a week or two. All right, so a prediction to make would yeah. be that in two weeks, hmm. um, the numbers in Kentucky should start to be going down, right? Mm -hmm. So next week will be August the 30th, 
And then I believe that would mean that the next one would be September the 7th. So when we do the first uh, Oblivion podcast of <laughs> September, uh, let's see if we can remember to check in on that, right? Yeah. And if that holds true, uh, maybe there's actually some something encouraging in it that uh, it would uh, maybe by the end of September, the numbers will be going down everywhere. Right. Finally. Uh, sorry, that prediction two weeks possible lowering so we'll track of that prediction so yeah another news uh we've got the pfizer uh, uh vaccine People, full approval full approval occurred today now um I mean, most people, you would think it's how it was treated. It was already approved, but no, it was emergency approval. <clears throat> and uh, I guess the, the only, some of the differences is that they'll be able to make mandates. Exactly. I was going to say, for, for me, it gets straight to the mandate. And I still think that's where um, this is this is headed. Here's something that I think uh, we should talk about is, um, unvaccinated patients in hospitals with COVID-19 for the month of June and July cost $2.3 billion. I mean, and that's gotta be bankrupting insurance companies. It's bankrupting hospitals because in America, hospitals run as a business, yeah. right? They're not like your fire and police. Um, they're, it's a business, and they they make their money on elective surgeries, which is main, mainly the upper middle class, upper crust people getting their facelifts, and the tennis players getting their um, sports therapies and treatments. That's where the money's made, right? Like nobody's making money to treat COVID, and then well, I, I don't I don't know about that because. Uh, you know, it all depends on what the insurance is that people have. But uh, you know, it's, for instance, if you a bed, uh, if they hospitalize you, having a bed in the hospital is pretty damn expensive, right? You know, it's like right. thousand, you know, two thousand, three. I don't know a day, and ICUs even more. So I mean, these hospitals are making bank. It's not like it's all free. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the test is the only thing that's free, and they try to charge on that a lot too. Um, I've been right. To, uh, so yeah, sure, I'm, I'm I'm not so sure about the boohoo uh, for the medical industry, but um, as far as people's concerned, yeah, I mean people are going to be getting some, get serious bills from all this. There's the long COVID that just keeps on lingering. Um, well, yeah. sure, but but don't you think that it's it's that's an awfully enormous cost? I mean, yeah, but the, but the yeah, right. But the cost is being borne by the people who got sick and their families, not the not the hospitals. I mean, unless you know, but it's still a cost, is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, 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 right. But there's I'm profit. Yeah, yeah. It's but the co My only point is that the cost, as you would expect. Is not being borne by the corporations and the wealthy; it's regular people. Well, right. So, I mean, the 
for example, if I'm understanding things correctly, if the insurance companies have to pay out on all of these uh, claims, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to drive up rates. Sure. Because, yeah. yeah. So it's basically damages to society, not to mention the toll that it's taken on um, the healthcare workers. I mean, I read uh, today that the healthcare workers in Oregon are pleading with unvaccinated uh, people. They said, you know, we can't do this without your help. And if you think about it, that's an extremely rare thing to ever hear in America where people actually acknowledge they need the help of others, right? Which is such a basic thing and a basic truth. But in America, we get off on the idea that we're all individually doing everything and there's nothing else to it. Uh, but that's an enormous cost in the, you know, two months, $2.3 billion. Math is pretty easy. That's a billion dollars a month. So those are serious damages. And you, you also do have to factor in things like this does require um, the, you know, ambulance people and the, um, what are they called? The medical uh, technicians. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it overrides all other abilities to deal with any other problems. Yeah, right. yeah so I, I definitely I, blood work done or sure. Sure. I mean, out, yeah, you're right. Uh, I get your point now. I, I mean, uh, as far as it being a, a, a profit hurting thing for the corporations, uh, there shouldn't be such a thing, but the corporations, which are the hospitals, etc. cetera. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's an already very poorly um, organized and set up institution of medicine in this country is being strained very heavily by all this and um, making right. So everything else gets neglected because a you know all the hospital beds are being taken up <laughs> by COVID right. patients uh, and on down. Right, uh, but it's it's a it's a two point three billion dollar. Oh, yeah, and I bet it's—I bet it's way more than that. You know, well, <laughs> you know that. What I'm saying. Ten is, times, twenty times that. Now that well, we have a number, you right. can say, and now that you have full approval of, of Pfizer, and I think Moderna will be soon to follow, hmm. is um, you can you make a vaccine mandate, and you hold the unvaccinated liable for damages like you don't want to get vaccinated then you're going to pay for this right because you're causing all of this cost to society i mean healthcare workers have no can easily make a claim like this is going to take years off of their life you know that they have had to go through this um, so stock by advice from oblivion podcast invest now in the injector bot industry uh, right the to, drones that are going to Target the unvaccinated and shoot them with with darts. By the way, here's something that I was uh, a related topic that you might find amusing to talk about for a second. Remember when Trump was president and we kept hearing about this ObamaCon playbook for a pandemic hmm. that they the brilliant ObamaCon came up with, and that hmm. if only the Democrats had been in the White House, they would have just used this playbook and it would have all been handled differently. And what was that playbook? Well, we were just told about it. Right? It was it was a oh. pandemic uh, playbook. And then uh, 
I, I'm, I'm not saying that it, that it doesn't exist, but the, what happened obviously is, you know, Trump got in and he just threw out everything that Obama uh, wanted to do. But my question is, especially since it was, uh, it's Obama's vice president, who's now the president, it, it's hard to see the benefits of this playbook in action, right? Like how can well, that end up being? It's a, it's a mess to start with. Exactly. Because, because, I mean, it was, for one thing, it, and this is the way it should be, the bureaucracy of the health system, such as it is, um, is pretty continuous. You know, Fauci has been in there for, you know, whatever you say about him, he's been in there a long time, and it's been kind of this continuous thing. So you can't say that, yeah, you can't say that Obama would have done it differently. He would have done the exactly same thing, because that's what pretty much happen. Uh, and and I'm not so convinced that if Biden with whatever this uh, mythical uh, playbook would have done much different. I mean, sure, his tone would have been more and um, maybe federal funds were not allocated as well as they could have been there at first. But, uh, uh, you know, for instance, I mean, so if he was so, gr- I mean, Biden's in there now. So uh, what's what's the big improvement uh, that's occurred since Trump? As far Obviously, as- there isn't. If you ask me, <laughs> the pandemic is the worst than it's ever been, and Biden's had the benefit. Of well, num- numerically, the numerically, uh, the numbers agree with you. I mean, it's a fact that it's as bad as it ever was. So, I mean, what what's the, what's the big diff here? And uh, uh, well, I mean, what we're seeing from the Pfizer. Um, approval and the suggestion now that oh now we can mandate uh, so it's just, you know the whole excuse is but you know we had to go by the rules uh, of the bureaucracy and we just couldn't do anything till now I mean hands were tied right, um, right. Yeah, so you tied your own hands that's why yeah. they're tied and I'm, I'm sure they have some way of blaming Trump for uh, he ruined it you course. know so if you round up the 397,000 that had died under Trump, like that's what the numbers were on January the 20th, if I'm remembering uh, correctly. Right. Uh, just round that up to 400,000. And then you say, what is it now? 628,000? Yeah, 30. So that, that's 228,000 and then plus three. So 231,000 have died under biden in what eight months whereas uh for trump who was there for the 10 months of the pandemic nine and a half um four hundred thousand died so i don't know man like let's see that's how many months that's eight months versus uh versus ten um the the rate at which people are dying under uh under uh, uh biden um i i'm not seeing any real big big difference um like another i wonder if i can do this in in, in my head like if it's if it's 230,000 over 8 months we'll make it 240,000 uh, and then divide that by 8 like uh 24 Divided by eight is three, isn't it? So yeah. is that like something like thirty thousand people per month 
dying. Yeah. So add 60,000 for two more months to make it 10 months. And that gets you up to 291,000. So, I mean, I think uh, 100,000 fewer deaths is what we're on par for. So uh, if you look at it like that, um, maybe there's a slight improvement, but there's not a significant improvement. And the point is, there really isn't any difference in policy. This is all still left up to the states, and it's as though 50 different hurricanes hit all 50 states somehow at the same time. And that's how this is being handled. It makes no sense that there should that there was never a, a reason from the get-go there shouldn't have been a federal response to something that's obviously a national emergency. If it's a national emergency, why wouldn't it be in the hands of the federal government? This is how it'll be done. This is what you do. The other thing to be careful about, though, is since this still isn't over, we may continue to see the debt, the rate of deaths uh, increase over the next two months, and we'll have to see where we are. So in addition to looking at Kentucky in two weeks, we should look at, what, what was that, two months to get to the equivalent of Trump, 10 months each for both uh, presidents. So I guess in October, um, on October the 20th, probably the third uh the third Monday of, of the Oblivion podcast, we'll want to look at the numbers and see if we can uh, break them down and make a comparison. And my prediction would be that at best, the numbers will be pretty similar, right? Not any kind of statistical significance to the difference for sure. So, yeah, let's, um, uh, of course, related because they're out of work because uh, of COVID. Uh, John Tapper uh, kerfuffle. <laughs> uh, this, uh, let's see, what what did he do? He called restaurant workers hungry dogs. <laughs> well, he said that starvation was like the best incentive for our economy, or at least he said it's a good incentive, and um, that you know starvation is not good incentive. Um, to work, starvation is a good incentive for, can you take a guess what I'm thinking? Uh, uh, losing weight. Uh. Uh, let them eat cake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah starvation, right? when, like, when you start driving people to starvation, you'll for sure get a revolution, right? Because yeah, yeah. people aren't just going to, like, the desire to eat, the need to eat is like the most basic thing, but it really, the, the guy totally tipped his hand in terms of obviously what he and the Food Network and all of these other um, influential media, you know, really think. I mean, they do want it to be where you're trying to always keep people right on the edge of starvation and collapse and losing everything. You know, they don't think in terms of that, you know, people actually do want to work and they want to do something, right? They reject that so that they can um, implement their psychotic uh, creep show uh, domination over, over other people. And it's interesting because that bar rescue show was on 
last night and uh it's it's the same old thing and it looks like it's just it's totally staged like it it's taking a situation where i I, i'm sure there are plenty of bars that aren't doing that well and aren't that well run run and so what they do is they go in and they they uh they turn everyone into a caricature right so there was a crowded bar and you have all these people working and and they've made one hamburger and this one hamburger is in the uh in the uh, window where it's on the, the, the ledge there to be picked up. They keep ringing the bell and no one will pick it up, of course. And the drinks are going really slow and they're all saying, oh, I, I already, uh, I haven't ordered my second drink because these other people didn't get their first and I'm just trying to be nice, right? So like the everyone on this side of the bar has it together because they're the customer and they have money to spend. People on the other side of the bar are the fuck ups and they can't do anything right and they're they're losers and idiots and you know the kitchen is the dirtiest, filthiest place in the world and the the person who owns the place is a drunk and so he's he's drinking all of the the stock and you know the, they're giving free away stuff uh, they're giving uh, stuff away for free. It, it's uh, I think I said this last week. It's another goofus and and gallant caricature of the of the human being and then so in in walks uh mr bar rescue man and getting out of his limousine with his slicked back hair and his kind of tough guy demeanor and he, he you just watch everybody screw up and do a terrible job and then he finally goes, all right, all right. and then he takes over and he chews everybody out and then his ideas of course always work and are great and he brings in his people say, okay, I'm going to show you how to make a drink. You know, so this, this person is the Aryan bartender and really knows how to do it. And, you know, they're good looking and they're quick and efficient and clean. And nothing ever goes wrong. And then everything works. And that, and that's the, the fantasy, the law, law land, the hierarchy that Americans believe in and, and they want it reinforced to them. Yeah. And this, uh, yeah, so uh, what was that? Yeah, what was Sweden? Well, uh, Sweden really hasn't been in the news in, in a while. Hmm. Uh, and I had been, you know, thinking about that. It's like, wow, did everything just work out? And of course, no. Um, it's been consistent from the beginning. Like the the numbers for Sweden are way higher than their Nordic neighbors, Norway, Finland, and Denmark. You know, to which that they should be compared, right? That that's the the fairest, most accurate way to assess how Sweden is doing, right? Similar culture, similar population. The main thing is is population density, right? Those Nordic countries, especially once you get uh, north of their very southern uh, tier, except of course for uh, Denmark, which basically is a peninsula that juts northward from uh its uh border with germany right but you've got you know helsinki finland stockholm sweden oslo norway those are pretty close to the southern boundary of those countries and once you get north of there i mean there's nothing there but reindeer (laughs) right and and you do actually have some indigenous uh people that that I, i saw on a show about greta thunberg when she went to northern sweden and they basically live off of, you know, taking care of, of reindeer and I guess selling reindeer. Hmm. Um, 
and they they're sort of like our version of a first nation people except of course they're really really white right because for thousands and thousands of years they've lived in the far north where there you you don't need pigment um so the numbers have been the same where sweden's numbers are 10 times higher in terms of deaths and infections than their nordic neighbors but it's lower than most of europe and so when when it's put that way and then they leave it at that it makes it sound like well they did a pretty good job see this COVID stuff is you know, people are overreacting but it's a completely distorted way of seeing things because mainland europe especially western europe is very densely populated i mean you've got a lot of countries with pretty big populations but not a very big landmass all crammed in together and it's also the 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 uh, the Shetland zone right where if you're a member of the european union you can freely travel no border checks all over these 27 countries so of course the numbers in mainland europe are going to be higher because it's a way more densely populated uh, part of Europe. For example, where did it begin in Europe? In the Lombardy uh, region of Northern Italy, right? That's part of the densely populated area of Europe where you've got Northern Italy, then Switzerland, Germany, France, all crammed yeah. in right there. So, I mean, so Italy is, is just 10 per 100,000, right? Uh, what's that again? Ten per one hundred thousand in Italy. So it's not too bad. Yeah, Italy's uh, finally, I think, doing well. The latest. Sweden, read about Sweden is eight point nine. Uh, Poland almost nothing. Hungary almost nothing. Germany eight point two. Now France is thirty three. Uh, Spain twenty three. But pretty much one of the darker, uh, worst ones is the UK, which is forty eight per one hundred thousand, which is a little more than. United States 45 for uh, you know which is interesting I think that uh, UK has a high relatively to the United States a high vaccination rate so yeah, a little distressing uh, uh, South America has gone is currently down so well, the Delta is, hasn't got in there hopefully it won't but you know, it seems like probably the Delta will eventually get out everywhere um, and maybe even in uh, I don't see why I wouldn't get into Sweden if they're still being pretty uh, relative to many other countries not having no lockdowns right their numbers are starting to go back up in Sweden and what's incredible is you know it, it's it's like this in all the conservative states in in America is they're obviously just not going to change their policy. And I think it's got to be pride and ego. Right. Like rather than just say, okay, you know, it, it's fine to try something. And I'm a big fan of independent thinking because you can't, it's a dead end if everyone's just always thinking the same and, and, and does it the same. Right. Um, but you also need reflection and uh, revision and evaluation. So if something's not working, you can, and this is the fundamental science, if something's not working, you can actually figure out why and you can take corrective action. And speaking a uh, good transition, speaking of not working, uh, <laughs> you know, with the uh, Afghanistan, 
20, 20 years after. Uh, <clears throat> the war is over, but they're still in denial about it all. Of course, this last week since we last uh, talked, uh, it's been a pretty solid, like, um, fear campaign that, you know, it's just total chaos and cruelty uh, uh, by the Taliban, you know, what barbarian, you know, of course. And uh, sure, I, I imagine some people have a lot to fear. And, uh, I, oh, wouldn't yeah, want, sure. I wouldn't want to live in a Taliban, whatever, but the, the way that they're, they're really tr- trying to smear Biden. Uh, now, I don't think it's going to work. Um, you know, sure, the the blob or whatever the uh, <clears throat> the powerful people and industrial complexes. Uh, you know, they're mad about having the cash cow finally come to an end. It's not like they they're not going to still keep getting it, but you know, whatever. Uh, well, Biden's so it, already so, set it up so that we can go to where now, Syria. Well, uh, China, I think is the is the big <laughs> sure correct. The, big pivot you know that's that was the obama pivot to asia which was that's when they signaled that the war of terror is going to pivot to that uh, you know because china's now a big threat and, uh, because because they actually are as far as an imperial uh i don't know that they want to be an empire but they're definitely threatening our empire by when so. china wakes it will shake the world <laughs> yeah you know, so, you know. That, but as far as uh, would that be Mao Zedong, Napoleon? No, <laughs> which I'm sure Mao Zedong does. Uh, Napoleon. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> so the um, yeah, so we're getting some headlines like uh, you know the you got to have the. Um, Violence of Kabul's airport feels calls to prolong the U.S. withdrawal. Uh, get that. So, uh, and uh, chaos at the airport still. Uh, but I mean, the big and then the, what, what did I just say? Uh, should we have? Oh, would the U.S. have been better off making a deal with the Taliban 20 years ago? <laughs> now that was hilarious. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think it would have been a little better off if we hadn't spent the two trillion dollars. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> but, that, for me, that brings up the. Uh, I, I read a really good article um, that was basically saying, "When are we going to start listening to the anti-war people?" And there, my inference was, "We're we're never going to." But there was this really excellent part of it that said that the whole reason that we won't listen to the anti-war people is that we know that they're right like the media won't focus on those voices they'll only focus on the voices that are wrong and so something something clicked for me and I, i thought about the media and i also thought about academia where it's the practice of saying what is wrong in a way to make it appear as though it's right. You want to say what's wrong, but make it sound like it's right, rather than just say what's right. And um, uh, a perfect example is guess who's back in the news? That's right, it's Hillary Clinton. 
Uh-oh. And they're, they're spinning her as now she's the one while Biden, the old fossil of the patriarchy, is bumbling Afghanistan, you know, were that we had the woman in office, she would know how to get things done better. And she's the one that's working internationally to make sure all of these Afghan women are going to be taken care of. But this same article that reported uh, this information about Hillary Clinton went on to uh, point out that Hillary Clinton agreed with Joe Biden on what? On the decision to start the Afghanistan war. So why do we keep listening to these people? And it's a bunch of bullshit that Americans think that the war in Afghanistan needs to be over, that we've been there too long. No, they don't care at all. If they really believe that, there would be an anti-war movement. And there isn't. And there's no sense at all. There's no energy or feeling that one is um, coming together, right? It's they're gonna they're gonna say, oh, well, we had to get out of Afghanistan in this defensive mode of uh, defending Biden, and they're gonna keep listening to the people who are warmongers. And I mean, how many wars has Hillary Clinton either herself voted to start or endorsed? I mean, she endorsed the Afghanistan war. Well, I mean, she, I'm sure she has voted I mean, for Iraq. I mean, you can start with with uh, Bill Clinton. Sure. Uh, yeah. Why not? So Yugoslavia and all all those things. He did, and right. you know, bombing of Iraq. Uh, the bombing of Iraq. This yeah. really all gets back to the Persian Gulf War. And of course, you know, my thesis is not for a single second can America ever not be at war. I mean, because no sooner does the Berlin Wall come down in November of 1989 than in January of 1991, I mean, that's barely a year later, um, we're at war again. And the focus has gone from the Cold War, the Soviets, to now terrorism in the Middle East. And now with the collapse of Afghanistan, Biden takes takes the same uh, idea and just pushes it to, well, it's no longer Afghanistan. We need to be worried about Syria and China uh, and uh, in these other places. And of course, instead of being professional journalists and getting in there and saying, hmm, seems like the foreign policy isn't working. Like, why are we always at war? You know, what's the goal? What's the objective? Why not do something that might actually accomplish something? So there's this basically spectacle and sensationalism, right? The, you may have seen the image of the baby being handed over the wall and the you know, Marine taking the baby and the baby gets uh, good health care. And it's <laughs> and, like, yeah, you know, no, the, no, the, the world that we want, total chaos at an airport, a malicious is taking over the country, there are guns everywhere, and here's a baby being lifted over a wall so that they can get... <laughs> But a good but but see the good troop got it and he didn't crush his skull like he usually would. Right, he didn't eat it, you know. <laughs> like he usually well, would, or have sex with, have sex with it, or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mar- marry it, and then. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so speaking, speaking of anti-war heroes, I, I saw that Rachel Maddow um, got her um, contract renewed for working at MSNBC. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm sure so she... We'll all continue to be in line. <laughs> so I, I, do you watch her at all? Um, well, I like to critique her, but it's, it's yeah. almost always insufferable. Yeah. Um, it's hard to watch. I thought she did a good job was right at the beginning of the pandemic when she when she did a uh, a news show the way you should do one where you have a, a topic that is uh, easy to understand and everybody knows is real, right? Like the pandemic, and you bring on a guest who's a specialist on it. It's one guest, and you mainly just let that other person talk, hmm. right? And then you jump in to clarify things, ask a few more questions, and that was it. And, 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 you, guy's name. and you don't have, yeah, and you don't have the annoying thing where there's like a, the other side talks for half the time, <laughs> meaning the liars. Uh, or so anyway, so, yeah, so what, what happened with that segment? Well, was that just, was, just a good um, segment. I just remember that because it stands out as an exception to how mm. Maddow does her show. Because right before the pandemic, she had been stuck on this hallucination of Donald Trump as a Russian asset, right? Mm. And it it sounds like a bad spy novel or a, you know a bad uh, TV series where uh, it's a <laughs> blender with the top off, right? Nothing ever comes together. You just keep adding on plot lines and bringing in new characters as soon as what you've been working with fizzles and goes nowhere. Um, and But her show is mainly uh, just her uh, blabbering, and she does a poor job of taking in lots of information, distilling it, and then being very brief and concise in what the audience needs to know. And a good example of this is when there were one of these um, uh, hearings where one of Trump's cronies had to appear before a judge. And Maddow would start out reading like every single line from the beginning of the transcript. Like we're supposed to be blown away. Like, look at how she does her research. She's got the facts. Wow. She went through all of this. These people are so smart. She's so smart. Wow. And it's like, good morning, judge. Good morning. And I was like, why do we need this? Like, you are the professional journalist. You read all this crap, you know, that is there to put you to sleep so you don't pay any attention to it. And if there, what's significant about it, if there is anything, you extract that from this and let us know what that is, right? And then if you're a total law geek, you can get in there and look at this stuff. It's just like the, the Mueller report. It was what? 448 pages like why do you think they made it that long so that no one will read it right you get into it like god i don't understand this it's just what is the saying and it was written not to mean anything it's like i was saying earlier it's the practice of saying what is wrong but making it sound right and um but with the Mueller report one thing i noticed 448 pages but within 10 minutes, breaking news out. what's that? Uh, uh, sorry, sorry. Oh, um, it, 448 pages, but with um, uh, within 10 minutes of it being announced that it had been released, all these people had read it. Like, uh, Mato was 
commentating on it. Stephen Colbert talked about it. Like I'm a comedian, but I'm also a legal scholar, right? That's how Americans think, right? If if you're smart, it means you know everything. It it doesn't mean like anyone else, like you know something. There's all this other stuff that you really don't know. Um, but yeah, I think that you know Maddow is a perfect example of the type of media that we have that never does any real professional journalism and is certainly anti-intellectual in that with respect to bringing it back to the Afghanistan debacle, won't ever ask any tough uh, questions that have to be asked, like, why don't we change our foreign policy? Why don't we start coming up with political solutions? When is military spending going to be lowered? And certainly one of the things that really just disgusts me to no end is the White House saying it'll be too costly to have any more stimulus checks when we know now that we spent this trillion dollars for no reason. And I don't know if you heard about this, but there are these imaginary Afghanistan soldiers when the Afghan army was saying this is the budget that we need and we're just throwing these billions of dollars into something that was going nowhere and was never going to work and we all knew it. Lots of these soldiers didn't even exist. But gee, I wonder why they said that they did, right? So they could get all this money. And so you give the Afghans all this money and then it's kicked back to you. I mean, they take their cut, right? But it's just, it's you know, money laundering, right? So we'll just take this money, but we'll do it in such a way that makes it seem legitimate. And I don't hear anybody talking about that. And I certainly don't hear anybody talking about Barbara Lee, the one person <laughs> out of the, you know, 421 votes, 420 to one, let's go to Afghanistan. I sh I'm so sure that Americans are really, oh, I think this war hasn't gone on. This war has gone on too long. We need to get out of there. Instead, it's like a toddler playing with a toy where in America, victory is starting the war. It's finishing it and winning it you know it's just that you start it and you have this big uh war orgy and you kill all these people and it's like getting a new new toy with a child and then what happens the immediate gratification wears off and it, you just toss it and then it goes in the closet and it becomes a piece of junk which is what this was it was afghanistan war was a piece of junk it was just waste that was going to wind up in a closet somewhere that people just want to forget about. What are the prospects that Joe Biden can get reelected because of what's happened in Afghanistan and how poorly this was obviously? Well, I, I actually think because it's, you know, it's actually polling pretty well as far as the populace, uh, you know, they think it's good, uh, certain sector. Uh, OK, well, that that uh, so I I kind of doubt there's I just as far as the amnesia, I mean, hey, people are kind of concerned with the pandemic a lot. So I don't think uh, in their lives like they like they have for the last 20 years, they haven't really paid much attention to Afghanistan uh, halfway across the world. And uh, I guess our troops are taking care of those terrorists over there. Uh, if they ever think about it, and 
So I think right. most most people don't think about it anyway. So I mean, it's, it's sure it's pissing off and giving giving a lot of um, of imagery and, and propaganda opportunities for the mainstream media uh, and the, the powerful to you know just push out. You know, Look what happens when the United States isn't there to protect the Afghan women. You know, they're all gonna be raped from the age of two weeks on for the rest of their lives. Uh, so, do you think that this is uh, dramatized and played up, or do you think that there's actual good well concern? Yeah, I think there. Are, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's a mixed bag, right? I mean, it's. And basically, there'll be a, the same tribal society it was before, um, and there'll be sectors that are ultra conservative, um, and uh, you know, and there's definitely going to be retribution. I mean, there was an occupied country with a large number of people who were collaborators with the enemy, uh, the United States. Uh, so yeah, there's going to be some retribution. Um, you know, I hate to say, uh, you kind of expect it. It's too bad, right. but, uh, you know, whose fault is that? Well, I think that's the United States' fault more than the Taliban's right. fault, um, <clears throat> as far as that's concerned. Uh, we're the ones that went in there. We're the ones that started all of this. Yeah, and we're, it's completely hypocritical anyway. I mean, Saudi Arabia, for instance. It's, uh, totally it, it's Yeah, it's way more than the Afghanistan ever was. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, they're but, yeah, they're allies. It's fine, you know. So it's you just can't believe it. Uh, it's just, uh, well, and also I think about Yemen, right? And you think about Saudi Arabia, you think about Yemen. Like what's happening to the not just women, but to everybody, including children. Like that's a horrible humanitarian crisis that no one is talking about, and it's just. How horrible our media are that these people like Maddow and Anderson Cooper can actually say that they are have integrity, but they are fine with these horrible things happening that are totally preventable that uh, and that could be stopped, but they never talk about it. Yeah. yeah. But I just think um, that the really bad thing about Afghanistan is this, uh, the, what I can't understand is why didn't we just get our people out and at least some of the people who helped us, like the, F, the Afghanis who worked in the U.S. Embassy and the translators who worked in, in various parts of the country while we were still there. <laughs> Yeah. and in control of the country and Biden makes it sound like no matter what, this is what would have happened. And it doesn't make any sense. Like you, you became president on January the 20th and you've been in the federal government. You're in, in the Senate for 36 years and you were vice president. So it's not like you really need to be brought up to speed on anything. You know, from the get go, you can have you do it covertly secretly the way smart military strategists do things and you you get these people out uh, bit by bit not in this massive chaotic way but I I do think it's a fair 
a question to ask, like if there had been anything worth the investment of the trillion dollars that we spent in Afghanistan, it would have been that if we did know we were going to have to get out of there, we could have done it in a way that was smoother than this. Yeah. So if Americans, I'm going to say this, I think that the people probably do care more about this than you may be thinking, because the way I look at it now is that the Americans that are over there now are basically hostages. Like when they start telling you, don't come to the airport, we'll give you individual instructions of how to get out of there. It's starting to sound like Argo with Ben Affleck. You know that movie? I think one of the 2012 yeah. Best Picture. Yeah. He plays the guy who has to go into Iran and get the hostages out. I mean, right. so but big, big, big pro CIA uh, movie. Sure, right. Yeah. But, um, uh, but let's see. Um, the right now it hasn't gone on that long. But the you know the Iranian um, hostage crisis definitely sealed the deal on Carter, like there was inflation and these other uh, problems, but that was what really finished him off. And if, if any Americans wind up getting killed, it's, it's politically unsurvivable uh, for, for Biden. Yeah. It will also uh, be interesting in terms, in terms of predictions that there's this August the 31st deadline. And I think uh, some of the American allies want the United States to extend that and the Taliban is saying no like there's a there's a red line drawn like you better uh, be out of here by August the 31st so if something if if this is this is not going well um, and I have to say this uh, also I'm glad I remembered this like Biden said this tell me what you think he said any American who wants to get out of Afghanistan can who what American doesn't want to get out? Well, and like, um, well, my response to that is, uh, I think it's exaggerated, right? The okay. the, dan- the danger, right? That okay. you you will be killed if you're an American. Uh, you know, I just don't buy this. And uh, the sensationalism of how it's covered. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the same thing as where God, uh, an Israeli, a Jew, a Jew in Palestine, uh, you know, you'd be killed. You can't go there. Uh, it's just those people would just kill you. And, and this is said in various other enemy conflicts. It's like, oh, you can't right. go there. You'll be killed. But it's it's pretty rare that that's actually the case. Like that they're just. I mean, if this was the case, they would have already gone in there and slaughtered everybody, right? If the Taliban were so bloodthirsty and crazed. You know, like we we claim they are, but I mean, of course, who's the real crazed one? The one that you know drones weddings on a daily basis, uh, uh, you know, starves children, blows up children. You know, uh, yeah, who's the barbarians here? So uh, well said. That would well that said. would be my response to that. Yeah, very well said. Well, all right, man. Yes, indeed, man. For David Vernon Miller, this is Dr. David Winston Overby, and you've been listening to the Oblivion Podcast. Kapow!